How do people blind at birth perceive the world around them? In today's story, a young man born without sight tells how he sees things today. Stay tuned. Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week I bring you stories that inspire, educate, and give you hope. I want to thank my sponsor and podcast producer, The Motivated Mind Group. I have often wondered how people born without sight adapt to the world around them and live with this different ability. My guest today is Max Ashton, who lost his sight as an infant, and his father, Mark, who through this experience raising Max, began a life helping other blind children adapt and grow. Welcome, Max. Thanks for having us. And welcome, Mark. Thank you for having us. Now, this is a different type of show. Normally, I have a nonprofit, then I have an individual story, but we have both today. So, history being made here, first for everything, right? Great. Um, Max, I understand you were blind, and Dad never imagined that he'd be a part of an organization. Tell me more about the foundation. Wow. So the Foundation for Blind Children has been around for 70 years and um, it was started by parents of blind children here in Phoenix who wanted services for the child. And it started with four preschool students, Mm -hmm. one teacher. And today we serve about 2,000 Arizonans of all ages from the day they're born. And our oldest student now is 103 years old. So 103? Anywhere along the way, we are there for them. Okay. And yeah, it's a great, great organization. Max, how old are you? I am 27 now. Okay, so you're not close to that older age. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of in the middle, I guess. But I, so our story with the foundation started when I was three months old, when my parents realized that something wasn't right and they took me to a bunch of doctors and I eventually got diagnosed with a condition called uh, Lieber's, which is a congenital condition condition that's left me mostly blind um and essentially i have just a little bit of peripheral vision remaining so i kind of see out of the corners of my eyes and i have to turn my head to see things and even that is you know kind of like large shapes and details things like that um and so from the time i was three months old literally the day after i was diagnosed the doctor said call the foundation for blind children then the next day someone from FBC was at our house and been a part of our lives ever since. And that's when your world changed. For me, for dad, absolutely. For dad and mom, it, um, we had no history of blindness in our family. We had no clue. And it was just happenstance that our genes mixed differently. And uh, Max was born without vision and um, it changed. And the greatest thing that ever happened was that the Foundation for Blind Children was there because, you know, when you find out your child's blind, it's a loss. So and you weren't a part of the foundation prior to this? Nope. Had no clue about it. Okay. So what got you involved? They started coming to our house once a week, um, and we went to some parent meetings and some um, grief counseling because that is a yes, grief grievance. process mm-hmm. that you have to go through when you have that news, and it's just as with any grief, it just takes time to heal it and you just got to process it. And then when Max turned three, he got to go to Foundation for Blind Children's preschool. And then he went to 
public school and in the foundation provided his textbooks etc and after he graduated from preschool i my wife and i said we well, got to get involved with this they've done so much for our family we have to uh, give back and they the whole time max was going there they never asked for anything and finally one day my wife's like should we be paying something for this and they go no it's all we, we the community takes care of us and so we said after max got through it we said we gotta get involved we we joined the board and then uh eventually our ceo retired and i looked at my wife and i said your turn i got a calling yeah and i went served and you've been there ever since 16 years so you got to actually be a part of him going through school and watching him go through the school not the preschool but absolutely all the other years growing up and then so after preschool he went to uh, Paris Valley Unified School District uh-huh. he went to public school mm-hmm. then he went to Brophy so I got to be a part of all that and uh, when he got older I was working there and that's when I got really involved and saw everything that was happening so I I have these images no pun intended being mm-hmm. that you're blind okay I know already talked about <laughs> I already okay. talked about how I don't want to be rude and sometimes we just say the dumbest things no, do we a, not that, okay. that's an okay thing to say <laughs> <laughs> I really try to be more conscientious about how I speak after every time I meet somebody new and I go yeah. okay Christine don't no, do no, that no worries so when we talk about school we're talking about being blind these are things that we take for granted as those of us who can walk talk breathe eat see Okay. Our vision is a very big part of how and who we are and what we how we see the world. Mm-hmm. But you, Max, can't see, but only by what you just said. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of what the foundation does, starting with babies, is um, teaching you know kids and then also their parents and their families how to teach them. Because that's a big part of it, you know. Uh, the example we give is when a, a baby learns to walk, usually how that starts is they see something across the room that they want, mm-hmm. and that's what motivates them to first start you know, scooching and then crawling and then eventually walking towards it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't see the thing across the room, so I, uh, FBC told my parents, you're going to have to find different ways of motivation. So you know whether that's sounds or um, you know like bells, squeaky toys, anything like that, anything that can get a baby's attention, that's what it needed to be. And then... You know, when I went to preschool, I started learning Braille letters instead of just, you know, learning to draw my letters. Um, And then, you know, I had Braille textbooks and then learned how to use uh, different technologies to do things throughout school and now as an adult. Um, And that's kind of the whole idea of what FEC does. It's teaching how to adapt to um, be able to learn and to thrive and to you know, live a fulfilling life. Well said, because I'm thinking Braille, you see it, um, you know, periodically in places, I think probably more so now than before because of the community that it has and it needs. Learning, I'm, and I'm visualizing this, the learning tools are so different. Yeah. But then that also means dad and mom have to become teachers, and that's not what you had signed up for. So help me understand how you had to teach something that he's just sharing that you had to teach him to learn. Well, I think that's the message that FBC gives to new parents mm-hmm. who just found out their child's blind is you are the first teacher, and so we're going to teach you how to teach Max. And, um, and we had to learn, I mean, everything was audible every description i mean walking into this room 10 years ago i would have described 
the geometric shapes on the, the walls and the green light and the overhead lights and the microphones on the table. Now he's he's um, schooled enough that he knows that he's walking to a studio and that doesn't need to be described. But when he was younger, I had to describe it all. I had to describe the main street of Disneyland. I had to describe what a truck looks like. I had to describe a tractor and a lot of hands-on and that was just our life. We just described everything. So I'm seeing two parts of this, obviously, and either of you can answer first. Where are the struggles if there were struggles? I mean, a lot of it, what we talk about is adaptation, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Right. Like, um, we have all these tools and these different ways of doing things, which uh, make which which make things accessible to me, but like, you know, I have to learn to do things in a different way than most people a lot of the times. And a lot of that means it's extra work. Um, you know, things are more complicated. Using a computer, for example, for me, I, I use talking software on my computer and my phone and all that, um, which is amazing because it makes me able to do everything else anyone else can do on a, a computer or phone. You know, I go on the internet, I write emails, I do all that kind of stuff. But I had to learn that extra level of learning that software so then I could learn how to use the computer. Yeah, you know what? It amazes me because when I spoke with you, not knowing if it was your dad or you, you're on the phone, you're saying, I haven't checked my emails, and now you're telling me, and I'm like, you're blind. How is that possible? So that's why I say, yes, we've got some great um, technology that allows a lot of people with a different ability, don't use the disability, but different ability, to be able to still function and be a part of community and do the things that anyone else that has the ability to do something. Yeah, and, and technology is an amazing piece of it. Like, even just you know, 15 years ago, whatever, uh, things were totally different. But now every iPhone or Android in the world comes with talking software built in on it. Like you can go to your settings and turn it on right now. Anyone listening? I'm imagining them doing that right now because in my mind I'm going, I'm going to go there after this. And whereas, you know, 10, 15 (laughs) years ago, even if there was something, Uh you had to pay like a thousand dollars for that software. And now it's just built in. You take it, we take it for granted. Um, and you can get, fancy expensive scanners and stuff or you can download a free app on your phone and point your camera at something and it'll read a document out loud to you that's that's what's amazing about today and when i was in school you know i had all my textbooks in braille and then at a certain point when i got into high school college i started using a laptop at school and when that happened most of my textbooks were just either online or on pdf so i could just read them on my um, computer and then you know I had braille for math for example just because it was easier to use but those braille books were ginormous like <laughs> they would take up an entire bookshelf just one math book because braille is a lot bigger than print and well, we do a lot of it I yeah. bet and so what were the struggles for you and your wife being that you now had a new life that you had to adapt to because your son has different needs how was that something that changed your guys' lives? You know, the struggle, I think the hardest struggle for any parent, including myself and my wife, is not knowing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, there's not a large community to go to. Like if you have a typical child, you have friends, he has classmates, th- there are people to compare and contrast and ask advice and what have you. We didn't have that. All we had was 
FBC and thank God for that because there are families that say it's going to be okay. It's going to be different, but it's going to be okay. And then we started meeting um, athletes and professionals that were visually impaired that were totally fine. I mean, that's all we want. We want our children to fall in love and to go to work. And that all on that path, we had a complete meltdowns personally just because why isn't max going to the dance you know and, and and why you know why are these parents complaining to me that their child's not playing on the soccer team or getting playing time on the soccer team and i'm like god i wish my son could play soccer and so those are the moments that you're like yeah but then you, you gotta i always tell parents you gotta put those moments against the good moments the the fact that Max climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. That we he, were going to go yeah, to that. You that he met spoiled the president our fun. of the United States. The, that he throws out the first pitch and those type of things. And it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking when he, that dropping him off at that first day of college and leaving. But I guess every parent goes to that with a child. And so those are the moments that are tough. But you can't always blame it on his vision loss. He's just... No. No. A freshman in college. And this is his norm. This is the norm. So that brings me to, you had already talked to Ma- uh, Mark about Max being directed into a room where he had to put into his mind a visual. When we have a visual, that means we've had images that have given us a visual. Like you mentioned, we're in a studio. You gave the yeah. setting. Max never seen a setting. So Max, without being disrespectful, what do you vision in your mind? Because you've never seen our studio. Um... That's a good question, actually. It's a beautiful uh, studio, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, I wouldn't even think about, for example, like, what's on the walls or what's the backdrop. Like, I, I assume, you know, we got a couch and table and we got a microphone, so that's kind of the – and lights, that's kind of the things I would have kind of assumed were in here. Okay. And I guess that's kind of what it is. It's just assumption. Like, I I knew I was walking into a studio, and I kind of knew know what a studio is vaguely, but, like – like I said, like I have no idea what the background looks like. But for us, we have shapes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking we have shapes and sharp corners and the list goes on. You don't have that, but you probably learn that through not just the Braille, but you had to learn things with toys like the rest of us did who yeah. could see. Is that kind of something you put into this visual? Yeah, I think so. Like there are things, you know, a lot of it was when I was a kid. Cause again, that's like a lot of what uh fbc teaches and you like if you go into um classrooms on campus there's lots of like models and toys and like tactile things because like you may not know what like i may not have been able to know what an airplane looks like but i've held a toy airplane and that's kind of how i get my oh your visuals yeah okay that helps max learns through his fingers and his ears and even to this day, if you put something in his hands, like this plant, for example. Go ahead. Explore it with his hands. And it doesn't do it purposefully. Obviously, we're talking about it right now. But he will put anything anything you put in his hands, he will subconsciously explore it with his fingers because that's how he's learning. So, wow. That's how you're able to figure out shapes and such. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Because there's no color. Obviously, you're not going to have a color to know what a color of a plant is. It's, uh, yeah, I... But you've learned through your teachings in it's, school. It's all about experience and, you know, tactile things and hearing, really. 
He hears much more than you and I hear. He doesn't hear better. He just pays attention to it. And his senses were actually heightened by the other. And, ones he, that and he, has he just to use. hears things that you and I just don't pay attention to because it's background. So noise. there's no secrets that you can say in the house because they're going to be heard. <laughs> there are none. There are no secrets. <laughs> and and that's, that's one thing that's, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, if you lose your sight, your hearing must be better. And it's, you know, if you gave me a hearing test, I don't think my hearing's actually any better, but what it is, is I'm better at using it. I'm better at listening to the sounds around me to know, to help, you know, paint that picture as it were. Um, you know, if I am walking somewhere and I hear the like sound of my footsteps mm-hmm. change, like maybe I know, oh, I'm about to walk into something because I can hear the echo off the wall or, um, you know, I can hear someone coming up behind me and I like pay attention to that kind of thing more than the average person. So now I also noticed, and this is a stigma that I think people are used to, so I get to sit in the seat and ask the questions, so not get in trouble. Um, I did meet you in the waiting area here, and I didn't recall seeing a stick, but you probably have one just yet. Yeah, I do. Okay. What is, um, and then you don't have any um, eye coverage. No. Um, Yes, some people have the sunglasses and everything, but I still have some usable vision. like I said, I kind of see some major shapes and things. So I use that a little bit to get around. It's, you know, it's not perfect. I still run into things and all that. But, you know, I can see a doorway or, you know, a chair in front of me or things like that if it's cl- if it's nearby. Okay. And a lot of, if you're referring to sunglasses, a yeah. lot of that is, um, we get that from television and what have you. We get uh. that from Stevie Wonder and stuff. And mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder put sunglasses on really to take the attention away from his eyes that were not focusing on anything so okay. that you wouldn't look at their eyes and say, oh my God, where's he looking? Sure. You'd pay attention to his voice, right? Yeah. And Ray Charles was the same way. Mm-hmm. They didn't wear sunglasses in private, you know, at home or whatever. It was yeah. more just to, as a show business, almost like wearing... They branded themselves yeah, with it. Or but then also, or something like yeah. Something that you need to do in show business just to cover up something or take attention away from something. So most visually impaired adults uh, don't use sunglasses anymore. And most of them have some usable vision, like Max was saying, where they, they don't want to diminish that at all but with sunglasses. So they'll, they'll just uh, use what little they have to their advantage. Yeah, for example, I, I actually pretty rarely use, wear sunglasses even when you know I'm outside a lot or whatever, and I actually could benefit from them, just because it's it's even harder for me to see through sunglasses. So the only time I ever really wear sunglasses is if I'm at the beach or whatever, and I know I'm just gonna be sitting around. I don't need to be seeing where I'm going or anything like that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So this is a another question. Yeah. Do you dream and do you see visual anything in your dreams? Yeah, th- that's uh, I've gotten that question before, and okay. it's. Uh, I just kind of, in my dreams, I just kind of see how I see in real life because I really don't know any different. I've had the same vision all my life, so mm-hmm. I don't, you know, some people say, do you see better in your dreams? And no, it's just kind of the, I only know one thing, so that's what my mind makes up when, my, when I'm dreaming. Okay. I, I compare it a lot to a book. When you're reading a book, you're describing Scotland or what have you. And if you've never been there, you just take what the book's describing to you and that create your own vision. And... I think that's what a lot of kids without vision do. They just take that description, whatever it is, and Through use reading. that as their memory. Okay. Yeah. So, Max, do you feel like you've missed out on anything? Dad already talked about, you know, 
dads want their boys to be in the sports something or other. Do you feel like you missed out anything or is there something I don't know that you actually didn't miss out on? Um, I mean, to an extent, like I didn't play the sports I wanted to in high school. Like, you know, I always loved football and baseball and it didn't play that. Although there are, there is another uh, FBC student who's a little younger than me who did play football in high school and he played on varsity and he scored touchdowns. So what? that's... He did what I, what I was too afraid to do. But what I did instead is I just found the sport that I could do and I still enjoy it. I did wrestling in high school. Okay. In, in middle school. So that's kind of, you know, that was, it's a much more, you know, close up sport. I don't have to be seeing people across the field. There's only one guy, he's right in front of me and, you know, you're in contact the whole time. So that was a pretty much an equal playing field for me. Now, if I remember correctly, a few minutes ago, I kind of cut you off because I didn't yeah. want you to like blow this. The fun is you did some hiking like big time. Yeah. So when I was 13, uh, we went with a group, uh, including me of eight blind climbers and, uh, our group was 25 total and we climbed, um, Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the uh, tallest mountain in Africa. Wow. How did that feel? Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's, I mean, I think that's amazing for anyone, but then, you know, we had obviously the extra accomplishment of, uh, you know, doing something people would have never thought possible. A fear or just not a thought at all. Yeah. You know what? I have to give some shout out and recognition to the individuals who help people as volunteers do these things so we're going to say thank you to those individuals there's a lot of organizations out there that because of them other people can enjoy stuff that they're able to do with their eyes or whatever else i've had other organizations on this show that have different abilities they've been able to help people be like water skiing and stuff like that and i think that that's really critical to the kilimanjaro story is that we had eight visually impaired climbers and but we had each of them had two guides and so you have to understand, climbing Kilimanjaro is tough. I mean, it's... It's a thin, big summit. It's, it's 19,340 feet. It's That was it's, exact, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and um, these volunteers, to your point, had to call out every step for Max wow. as they're climbing. And they're struggling just as much as everybody else is. And the air is really thin. It's hard to breathe. And they're having to call out. There's a rock there. There's a, Or Max is hanging onto their backpack. So... It's amazing, and, and it's it truly is um, couldn't be done without them. So that was pretty special. Was that like on your bucket list, or just came about? That uh, kind of actually just came up because um, we sort of, by complete random happenstance, happened to meet um, a guy named Kevin Shrilla, who was the base camp uh, commander for. Uh, Eric Weimer, who was the first blind person to climb uh, Mount Everest. And I had mentioned as we sat down that I, it must have been the timing, knowing yeah, that I was going to sit here and meet you guys for the first time. Downtown Chandler, right on Arizona Avenue, I saw it, big bo- billboard with his name, and I went, oh, that's cool. And then I shared it with you, and now you get to actually bring it into the interview. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so Kevin was his base camp commander, and he's, you know, a professional mountain climber and all that kind of stuff. And we just randomly met him at like a neighborhood party uh, and, you know, sort of, you know, became friends. And then uh, 
he, I think, asked my dad if he wanted to take a group to Kilimanjaro. Wait, <laughs> now I have to back up because I, I may have missed something. Is he also blind? No, nope. Kevin is Kevin not. Kevin is a school teacher here in town, oh. or was, and um, he just, and Eric Weimer was also a school teacher in town. That's where they met. Okay. And um, they just summited together, or they were both on the mountain together, and uh, we were at this party, and Kevin's like, have you guys ever thought about doing this? And I go, there's no way. You know, I'm not an athlete. Max is 11 at the time. And he took us into his garage, and so there was all these posters of Eric and said that you can do this and I went back to FBC and said who wants to go to Killy and we had 25 team members in two weeks and started training Wow, training okay tell me yeah. more about this training because now you have these other things now you got to do this too what's yeah. the training it's I mean first of all just you know normal like conditioning and all that kind of stuff because it's a hard eight-day trek on the mountain um but then also you had to learn to work with your guides. So we did lots of practice hikes around Phoenix. And then we also went up to Flagstaff to climb Mount Humphreys um, to get some uh, experience hiking in high altitude. I mean, that's nowhere close to what Kilimanjaro is, but it's the best we got in Arizona. <laughs> wow. So it was 14 months of just hike after hike after hike, learning how to the guides as well people who volunteered didn't know how to guide a person and though they had to learn how to guide and how to call out the trail and how to protect them from falling off the trail and uh and then on condition themselves at the same time these are not things you're going to learn at the school no. <laughs> which which i want to bring back to the school because i want to know more um for anyone else that doesn't know what kind of programs do you have um so like i said we serve uh students and clients from literally the day they're born until over 100 years old so we have uh, an infant program we have uh, the largest preschool for blind and visually impaired in the country uh, we also have a sp small elementary school k through fourth grade um, but really the the goal is to get um, you know students who are able to get back to their local schools and then support them there um, and how we do that is we provide assistive technology, you know, computers with talking software and Braille um, and magnifiers and all things like that to students in school all across the state. We also have um, a Braille library where we produce and um, distribute Braille books and other materials to students all of Arizona and all also in 38 states across the country. Um, so we are a, a big provider there. We have 32,000 titles at this point. Mm. Um, and the largest Braille library in the country. Yeah. Right here in Phoenix. And yeah. Own that, own that. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's everything from I read Harry Potter when it came out to my um, high school, college ca minute. calculus. Everybody can relate to Harry Potter. Yeah. Even I can. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, I read Harry Potter in Braille that I got from FPC's library when I was a kid. I love that that everyone can actually have enjoy the things we enjoy. Yeah. I got a cute story about that. I'm listening, want. yes. So like every household, you know, lights out at eight o'clock, everybody go to bed and 
dad would go check on Max an hour later. Reading. And I'd hear the Braille book hit the floor because he heard my footsteps and he was reading in the dark. Uh, That's funny. Those bumps in the paper. Love it. Love it. I really appreciate you both. I appreciate the organization that you just shared with me, the Foundation for Blind Children, and Max for being here and telling us and showing us, no pun intended, on how we can actually see things even if we don't have our vision, that this is your norm. It's not a disability. It's just something different for you. But, Mark, I have to tell you, when your time's up as CEO, I think I already know who's going to take <laughs> your spot. <laughs> He's See. got a ways to go, but he's, he's good. <laughs> he's good. Yeah. He's definitely good. Now, I have one final question that is not related to the school, but it is related to you as individuals. If I only had one question to ask to think I would know a little bit about who you are, it would be this question. I'll start with Mark, because <laughs> he's done a lot of the talking. That's why I said you're already, your CEO part is yeah. almost up. No, just kidding. Based on your journey of your life, what message would you like to leave everyone? I did it. Oh, wow. I got kids to go to college and go to work who are blind. And I'm proud of that. And some people would say, yeah, you did, because that's a challenge some would not even take on. You did do it. Wow. And you're still doing it, by the way. I'm still doing it. And then you're going to say when he takes over the yeah. CEO, then you finally did it. But good for you. Thank you. That was a powerful yeah. answer. Max, same question. What message, and you're young still, so you've only got that many years to give an answer to, but what message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey of your life? Um, I think it's similar. I think the, you know, all my life people have just assumed because I couldn't see that there were certain things that I couldn't do, and I've repeatedly proven them wrong. Um, and I'm not the only one, you know, all the, every single day at, at FBC on our campus, we hear some story about, uh, a kid achieving something that, you know, people thought impossible a year ago. So like, you know, whether it's someone being the first person in their family to go to college and also being blind or, um, we've had, you know, kids who are four or five be able to swallow food for the first time um at that age or who finally finally learned to walk because of our physical therapists at fbc it's every single day something new something someone else showing what they're able to do with the right tools and the right training and the right people supporting them around them being able to do it without an excuse yes wow that was good too is there anything I didn't ask that you want to put out there real quick? I don't call know. us. If you yeah. have a blind child in your family or discover one, just call us and we'll go to work. And you have one that likes to read, so we know where those <laughs> books are. Yeah, it's, you know, if, like you said, if you have someone in your family or someone you know who needs services, there's there's a lot of people out there who just don't know what's available, um, you know, there's blind people going to college, going to work. I've you know, had amazing jobs since I've graduated college. I've done things, some crazy things. And it's all because I've had the tools and the training, like I said earlier, um, to be able to be independent for myself. And so if there's anyone out there who needs assistance or knows someone, you know, give us a call, go to our website, which is 
um, see it our way, S-E-E-I-T-O-U-R-W-A-Y.org, and give us a call. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Mark, for being my guest today. I really appreciate you both. This inspiring story was brought to you by MMG, your global creative agency based right here in downtown Chandler. Thank you.